1: Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical.
2: This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political
1: junkie. And I'm Arden Walantowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist.
2: In this episode, we're talking with former Senator Mike Gravel. So grab your direct democracy. And let's get civical. hi guys welcome back to let's get civical i'm lizzie stewart and i'm arden walentowski and today we're sharing with you a very exciting interview that we did with former senator of alaska mike gravel yes
1: Uh, it was so interesting to talk to
2: him it was great i mean i I was it's So smart.
1: So smart. I really enjoyed our conversation. Like Lizzie said, he was the senator from Alaska from 1969 to 1981. Before that, he served as a member of the House of Representatives for Alaska from 63 to 67. He is also a former Democratic presidential nominee and founder of the Democracy Foundation. And he's authored a new book called The Failure of Representative Government and the Solution, and he describes it as a manual for how to implement direct democracy in our fair
2: United States. And so in this episode, we talk with him about the concept of direct democracy, how it's different from our representative democracy that we have right
1: now. What he envisions for the implementation of direct democracy, his plan to implement that in the United States, and what it would look like in operation with our current structure of government, you know? And so we talk about the checks and balances that would exist, how a people's legislature would what kind of laws would come through them how they would propose laws how those laws would be passed and implemented and what the role our current congress would have in this new structure so that's those are the topics we cover and it was a really interesting conversation and we hope you enjoy enjoy it
2: guys
0: very good very good yeah. well now uh so this is a po- we're doing you're doing a podcast right now mm-hmm. and I Bye. Yes. T in the podcast, and uh, and you want to talk about direct democracy and how to empower the people and all of that. So I'm uh, so if you've read synopsis or you read some of the book, mm-hmm. you have some questions over the whole concepts involved, and and of course what's very very important that what I'm advocating, which is empowering the people to be able to make laws in the legislature of the people that will only come about if the people want to make laws. So for them to want to make laws, they have to be aware of that there is a, a way for them to make laws. Hmm. So what I'm suggesting is a little bit out of the box. Everybody has solutions that are tied to uh, to, to representative government. Well, representative government's a failure. All you, all you gotta do is look around and you'll see the failure. And so if that's the case, then Why not look for a solution outside of representative government? And of course the pundits and the leaders and whether progressives or liberal or conservative, they don't see that. Mm. They're they're really myopically involved in concentrating on solutions within the context of representative government. Mm. And that takes you nowhere. Now, so that's that's a preliminary to open it up for you to ask questions. Please. Let's let's have a dialogue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I would love to kind of start off because, you know, this idea of direct democracy and how representative democracy is failing us and how you've gotten to this concept after being a part of representative democracy and sort of if you can speak on what your Tenure as you know representative of uh Alaska and then Senator of Alaska, how that navigated you toward this concept of direct democracy
0: what what it did was uh you know like a lot of idealists uh I want to get elected to change the world. well, I found out mm-hmm. you can get elected, but you may not be able to change the world <laughs> for sure, so as a result of that uh i uh when I was a senator, I was grappling with it. It, it just seemed that what we were doing was inadequate, mm-hmm. and that we had to find a way to involve the people in a greater role. <clears throat> now, the only role that you can involve the people in uh, in government is as a lawmaker. You can't bring them into the executive. You can't bring them into the uh, to the judiciary. Those mm-hmm. uh, are smaller entities, but you can bring them in. To the operation of government, uh, and and so I was grappling with that then. Then when I left office, I was so, really quite disgusted with the inability to address the issues. You know, I was very controversial. You know, I released the Pentagon Papers, forced the end of the draft, brought about the Alaska pipeline, just did, did a whole bunch of very controversial things. Uh, trying to in, do the law to see. Uh, and, uh, and so I left office somewhat disgusted, mm. uh, and, uh, and I didn't want to get involved in politics. So for 10 years, I did nothing but just follow and read and study uh, the theories of governance. And about 10 years later, about 1990, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I was in the shower. Yeah. The, answer, <laughs> the answer is the people. It's not their leaders. It's the people. But how do you equip the people to be able to exercise leadership? Or, and the only way you can do that is for them to be able to exercise lawmaking. Uh, And through the issues in in lawmaking, you you can now uh, initiate the leadership. Now, I had to figure out a way that I knew that the government didn't wanna make a change uh, and that the people, couldn't make a change. They didn't have the tools. They were left out of the Constitution. Article seven of the Constitution is where the people should have been given procedures to participate in amending the Constitution and uh, procedures to be able to make laws. But they were left out. The reason why they were left out, was very sad, was to protect slavery. Hmm. And so I had to figure out how to overcome that problem of the lack of procedures and so for 30 years um, not only myself but supporters who were also involved in this we labored in to design a piece of legislation which was made up of a constitutional amendment and made up with a legislative procedures act because if you just empower the people to make laws without setting up a deliberative process it's anarchy and so what you right. want to do Set up a deliberative process, and yet uh, set this thing up in a constitutional amendment that would uh, that would work. And so, for 25, 30 years, we labored at that. I would go to various law schools and make speeches, ex- trying to explain how direct democracy would work. And 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 in all these years, nobody has really ever put a glove on it. It uh, the, the plan that I have is unique, mm-hmm. uh, and yet it's straightforward, but it has complexity. Lawmaking is a complex process if it's going to be deliberative. And, of course, the initiatives in the United States are not deliberative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you qualify and then boom, you vote. That's not a way to make law. And so in developing this legislation over time, when you read the book, you have to appreciate that the creation of what's in the book took 25 to 30 years. And that was based upon a person who had 16 years of elective office, been in politics since he was 15 uh, and, uh, and was totally committed uh, to a, a process where people could participate. Yeah. So that's essentially where I came from with this and where I'm going at 90 years old, I'm not going far, but but you are. And uh, it's true. If if you really buy into this process and truly really understand what's involved, this is the answer to human governance. This is a change in the paradigm of human governance. And so if you want to be able to change fundamentally what's going on in our society, which is essentially failure at this point then you have to bring the people in, empower them so that they can act deliberatively and intelligently. And they will. If you give people responsibility, they'll react responsible. If you don't give them responsibility, then they act as children. And of course, our system of representative government is designed to keep people in civic adolescence because you can't take responsibility give it to Joe or Charles on election night. Now, keep in mind, What's involved here is we are presently ruled by a minority, the elites who control our society. If we ever want to be uh, led by the majority, which is the people, we have to put in place uh, legislation uh, that that creates a legislature of the people. Lizzie, did that answer your question (laughs) somewhat?
2: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No, that was great. Thank you.
1: You know, Senator, one of the things that we endeavor to do with our show is to, you know, help educate our fellow Americans about the civic structures and the civic events that shape our country. And I think, you know, the idea of I don't think people really understand sometimes the structure of a representative democracy and that it's not always know that there are other options and so just to take a step back and explain to our listeners what the difference is what you're what you're arguing for versus what's different about what we have now just the difference of representative versus d- direct democracy so we you know we elect our representatives and our senators and they go to washington dc to represent in theory our interests but what you know how what is the difference between that and what you're you know working towards? And how, how, what is the structure through which people would participate in direct democracy? So if we have a Congress right now made up of two legislatures, how would that work with, with a, a you know, population of, of millions of, of voters?
0: Yeah. First off, this can be done with a, a million people, 100 million people, doesn't make any difference. The structure is such... Now, the the structure that we have with representative government is, is very straightforward. That is that you turn around on election day and you vote for a representative to represent your interest. Now, unfortunately, and the, this was the ideal when the founding fathers set up the structure, uh, but unfortunately, uh, they assumed that the representatives would be perfect human beings. You know, the best, mm-hmm. the best of the best. Well, that, of course, is not what happens in reality. What happens in reality, it takes money to get elected, to advertise yourself. So you have to raise the money. Now, you raise the money from the people who have it, and they're most gracious to give it to you. So once you get elected, you owe them your office, Mm -hmm. and they have control over you and also your future prospects of getting reelected. So now that's the failure of the, in the, the structure that was designed. So now we, in essentially what we have in the constitution is a monopoly for Congress to make laws, mm-hmm. a monopoly. Now here's how it was done. In Article One uh, of the constitution, uh, the people make laws. Uh, and within uh, that article, uh, Article five, uh, 5 of the Constitution, is how the government amends the Constitution, not how the people amend it. And there's no provision for the people to amend the Constitution, except taking recourse to the statements by uh, uh, James Madison at the convention in Philadelphia when he was asked by uh, the Senate, uh, the Representative Carroll from uh, Maryland, mm. and he was asking, "How can we amend the Constitution when we already are members of the Confederation and the uh, uh, the laws of the Confederation require that it must be unanimous if you're going to make any changes? Mm. Well, since we're making a change, it's illegal. And so Madison says, "Well, of course, that's the problem." Uh, that, uh, that the people, that we all have the same problem, and we're all sworn as officers of the Confederation to uphold the Confederation. However, he said, we could make a change. And he said, how? People just do it. It's called first principles. You just do it. Now, when we revolted from Great Britain and wrote the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, we just did it. Right. And that's, of course, the ultimate power. So when you look at the problem that we face today in human governance, and we realize it's very inadequate, what's the solution? Well, the solution should be, people should be able to just do it. This is what, this is how our country was founded. In Article 7, it says that when the conventions of, not the people, conventions of nine states ratify the constitution, It becomes the law of those nine states and they are no longer bound by the Articles of Confederation. Now, when at the time, after nine states was ratified, keep in mind that it was written in 1787, was ratified in late uh, 1788 and then the administration began in 1789 now other states of the 13 joined uh, the nine that had ratified and so that by the time of you got to 1889 almost all of the 13 states had ratified the constitution and so that establishes a new law so that law is the constitution written in philadelphia so that's that's how we got the the law into place people just mm-hmm. yes. did it now, there was opposition to that, but the reason why that opposition faded away is because they recognized that uh, that the country was falling apart. Uh, in 1787, uh, the, the uh, Shays Rebellion oh, mm-hmm. started in 87 and went into 88 while they were meeting in Philadelphia. And Shays Rebellion was very straightforward. It was a violent reaction to the excesses of power concentrated in Boston. Uh, and so they had gone through a revolution, and they recognized that unless they made some fundamental changes to the structure of governance, they were facing another revolution. And the example was the operation of Shays Rebellion at the time. So after the nine st- legislatures had ratified, the, the opposition just faded away. and uh, and so that's how our government was created. It was the people acting uh, as sovereigns via conventions. Now today, we can we don't need to have conventions. We had the technology to ask all the Americans, do you want to become lawmakers and participate in your own governance? And of course, the answer is, If the people vote in the uh, insufficient numbers to do that, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like what happened with the nine conventions, if the people, let's say, who voted in the last presidential election, the majority voted for the legislation to create a legislature of the people, it would become ratified by the people for the Constitutional Amendment and the enactment of the law, the Legislative Procedures Act. That's how it would come into being. It would be through a national election. Now, my problem at this point, is that since this concept is a little bit out of the box, not entirely out of the box, because we're doing exactly what the constitutional framers did to create our government. We're just following that precedent in a a clearer fashion, because we're asking the people directly. They didn't ask the people directly. In fact, they didn't want to get the people involved, because they knew the people wouldn't buy into slavery. So they kept the people, and of course they knew if they had to go to the Confederation Congress, they wouldn't vote for it because they'd be dissolving their power. So they had to set up a process so that the people uh, were not involved, they were at arm's length. Plus the framers and founders felt that the people were not qualified to govern themselves. It had to be done by a cadre of leaders who knew better. Right. So of course, we where that's taken us <laughs> in the last 200 <laughs> years. Yep. So that's the dynamic of how this would come into being. So our task is, your task, I've already done what I'm supposed to do. Your task is now to persuade people to think in terms of getting involved in government mm-hmm. and for them to realize that the only area that they can get involved in government is as lawmakers. But but that's the most important part of government, not the judiciary, not the executive, it's who makes the law, because we are governed by the law. And so if, so the people now can come in as lawmakers uh, and make laws and govern themselves. And that's the dynamic that we have to be involved with. And so your task is one, to go out and, and get people to buy the book, read the book, discuss the book, so that you can get the feel of it. And mm-hmm. then then as a result of that, when when there's several millions of people that understand that they can be empowered to make laws by voting for legislation, then we offer the legislation, which is which is codified in the book. It's, a, it's the Constitutional Amendment and the Legislative Procedures Act. And, and, and so the amendment is very important because the, the, uh, the, the judiciary of representative government cannot touch this process. We come together in a national election uh, and, and that is under the first amendment, not mm-hmm. the article, the first amendment. It says we, we the people uh, can gather together uh, and assemble. Well, what is an election? It's an assembly of people making a decision. And so we have that right under the First Amendment to the Constitution. Then once we exercise that right and begin to get people to vote uh, for this process, it's no different than the nine uh, 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 constitutional, uh, nine conventions voting for the ratification uh, of the Philadelphia to um, uh, Constitution. Hmm. So we're doing exactly the same thing. We're asking people to vote in a national election to ratify the Constitution, but more importantly, to equip themselves with procedures to, to, to legislate in a very deliberative fashion. That's the dynamic of what's going on. And so if we can inform the people, get them to understand this, I think the people will just go for it big time. Because they know that the way we're governing ourselves right now is a failure. Yeah. A failure. And, the, and the failure is going to destroy our planet. The first one is with a nuclear accident, which I think is the most egregious thing going on. And then the second one uh, is, uh, is with our destruction of the planet, environmental destruction. So either case, in the next hundred years, we, we, our planet would be non-existent. And so that's why the people have to take over control of, of the government as legislators. Now keep in mind, you got the Democrats that control the House and the Republicans control the Senate. And yet you see a, 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 an, an appropriation that was passed this last uh, March, uh, April, uh, where we appropriate uh, money, uh, on the order of $780 billion for further nuclear devices, more military. We, we, see, we see where we get a report from Afghanistan that our military leaders have lied to us about the successes that exist in Afghanistan militarily. they lied to us. Since they lied to us, and we all know they lied to us, then why do we keep appropriating money for the war in Afghanistan, in Syria, Libya, uh, and Iraq, it, it's appalling, and this is done by Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. But here, we've—did uh, th- th- you hear anybody in the course of the presidential debates uh, talk about the whole nuclear problem that we have? Of course not. Mm-hmm. Did you hear anybody talk about the excessive appropriations that go on to to feed a military that is bloated? Uh, and, and, uh, and out of control. You didn't hear anything about it in the debates about that. Maybe Bernie a little bit, but primarily Tulsi Gabbard. And so the military industrial complex just just pushed her aside. So that's what we face today. Uh, and so when you have the pundits saying, oh look, we gotta, gotta make changes in representative government. They're talking, or within the context of representative, they're not talking about making any changes. Sure, suppose that we pass uh, single-payer health care. We have, that's wonderful, we should have it. And uh, then what happens after that? We gotta fight another 30 years to make the next fundamental policy change. When if we equip the people to make laws, they can make policy changes 52 times a year. Because that's the amount of time it takes to to enact a piece of legislation. You vote for it over a week's period. And so if you can, if you have a week to vote on a piece of legislation, that means you can only have 52 pieces of legislation in a year and it's purposefully limiting the situation because we don't want people to go crazy. The, the end result would be a people that would be knowledgeable, they would be experienced because they would take responsibility for their actions. And, and as a result of that, they would set policy. And the implementation of the policy would be done by representatives in government. So it's a win-win. The people set the policy and the representatives execute the policy of the people rather than today they execute the policy of the 1% who control our society. That help a little bit?
2: Yeah, (laughs) thank you. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. and how he rose from nothing to become New York's king of the egg cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm curious how would the system that we have right now of this, you know, quote unquote checks and balances still work in this in the direct democracy model, would we still have the executive with a veto and the judiciary over here kind of overseeing any, um, you know, constitutional violations? Or would that also, those uh, entities also change within this form of direct direct democracy?
0: Great question. No, they won't change. But I understand okay. one thing. When you have the Republicans controlling the House and the Senate, and the executive, as they did recently, you got no checks and balances. Yeah. Because the check and balance is that if you got a Congress that acts one way and a judiciary the other way, and it's and it's defined by the constitution, by the judiciary, uh, there's no check and balance. So, what will it happen once the people can make laws? Now, the people will make laws independent of representative government, not controlled by representative government. In the initiative states that we see today, it's controlled by representatives because then they pass the laws to govern how the election, uh, how the people will legislate. That's not the way this happens. When the people vote for the initiative for the legislature of the people, all the procedures and processes are there. They're not enacted by representative government. They're enacted initially by the people in this national election that I was talking about. Now, uh, so one of the unique features of this is that the judiciary would be the one to determine if the legislation passed by the people is constitutional. If it's not constitutional, it would declare unconstitutional. They would still do that. The uh, legislature in Congress would still be able to enact laws. Uh, Now, they would be much more circumspect because they'd have the people over here also enacting laws. Now, what's the most important dynamic to really comprehend this is that once the people are able to make laws and amend the Constitution, they become the senior partners of government because the people are sovereign. Now, how is it that they're sovereign? They're sovereign because they're born as human beings. That's, uh, it's it's the birth that makes you sovereign. And and through childhood and adulthood, uh, you're guided by your parents and surrogates. Uh, And then when you're an adult, you can then make laws. Uh, And if the judiciary is unfair in determining what the laws say, the people can turn around and pass a constitutional amendment doing away with the judiciary. Oh, that's pretty serious stuff. <laughs> that's <sounds> oh. serious. <laughs> Congress kept changing the laws that the people passed or the policies. Then the the people could turn around and pass a constitutional amendment doing away with the Congress. So, but but the Congress cannot do away with the legislative power of the people because that's based upon their sovereignty. And, and as was Richard Parker of uh, Harvard stated so well, there is no power superior to the people. Hmm. When you understand that, now the question becomes, how do we exercise that power of the people unless we have procedures, and we don't have those procedures. And that's what I've put before you is the ability to have these procedures put in place so that you can exercise your sovereign power individually and collectively.
1: So so the idea is that though the the voting power of the people exists simultaneously with the power of Congress, it's not that the people replace the legislative power of the Congress, they work in tandem.
0: And, and they could replace them if they were unreasonable, but what the dynamic of what happens Is that the minute become the people become legislators, the elected officials will conduct themselves totally different. You know, they won't be all this deal of, uh, I'm voting because I want to keep myself in power. No, they'll be guided by the policies set up by the government, by the people to exercise those policies because that's what the people have dictated they want done, Hmm. not the elites who have dictated what they want done. So, you you begin to see that it's an operation of a win win. The people who are elected to Congress will have a better opportunity to cut out the demagoguery and to focus on implementing the wishes of the people. And the people will be able to express those wishes in law by enacting laws under the power they will have as sovereigns. You see how that dynamic will evolve. Uh, and would have better government. And then we could, and this dynamic could, as in chapter six, you see mm-hmm. that this dynamic could turn around and be used globally so that we could, as, as a, a, a human race, empower the people to make laws rather than just defer to the tyrants and dictators uh, who presently run the world today
1: so if if Congress is still uh in existence simultaneously along with the you know the the legislature of the people, Congress is writing and drafting the laws as they currently would who where are the bills coming from on the people's side who's how are they get how are they coming to a piece of legislation that they could vote on, and what are the different types of things that each body would handle so if i mean i i think the most i know this isn't your your model, but i think in currently in most people's minds, a direct democracy. I think people think about Brexit, right, which is like an overarching large question. And that's not your model. I totally understand that. But I think when when people are talking about making, you know, an entire country having a a say on a piece of legislation or or an act of some kind, that might be the most analogous, or the, the thing that they most immediately think of. So what kinds of things would each body Tackle and who would come up with the who would draft the legislation that then the people would vote on.
0: Okay, fair, excellent question. Uh, first off, uh, you've got to appreciate that the Congress, in its operation, has a an entity within the Congress. In the House, it's called the Doorman. In the Senate, it's called the, the Secretary of the Senate. They do the housekeeping work of the Congress, meaning. Printing the bills, sweeping the floor, uh, responding to parliamentary questions, research, and all of that—that's done for the elected officials. The same thing occurs uh, with respect to a legislature of the people, because in the constitution, the the first element is asserting our sovereignty. Second is uh, is, uh, is asserting the legality of the legislation. That people voted on to bring it about, and then third is the creation of a citizens' trust. The citizens' trust is made up of professionals who will then do all of the uh, homework that's, that needs to be done to make laws. So when the three of us introduce a piece of legislation, let's say for single payer, we would get on the telephone and we'd call the, the citizens' trust. We would have a staff in, in offices around the country, like the Federal Reserve. you would call up on the telephone and say, look, at, the three of us would like to draft legislation for single payer health care, and that's complicated. Would you uh, dispatch a, a, a an attorney or a group of attorneys to go ahead and write this legislation, show it to us, and if we approve it, then that legislation is qualified. That's the first step. So." Once we approve what they've drafted, uh, which it could be very complex, uh, then then it has to be uh, qualified by the people. And how do you do that? We take a poll, and when 40 percent of the people decide that they want to deal with the subject, not that they're going to vote for or against, they just want to deal with the subject. Right. So when 40 percent of the people in the poll say that, then The legislation is qualified. Now, as sponsors, we have to pay for the poll. Nationally, that would be about uh, $35,000. Similarly, same thing for a state-level winning. So these are the steps, and this is what's important. Now, we have the legislation that we believe in that we want people to vote for. So the first thing we do is like what happens in Congress. The Congress has a hearing on the subject. So the legislative trust appoints a hearing officer Mm -hmm. to conduct a hearing with us uh, as sponsors on the subject nationally. Now, this is gonna take new technology so that the people nationally can have an input into this hearing. So we develop a hearing record. After the hearing record, you do what you have in Congress. It is submitted to a subcommittee. So we create a deliberative committee process, meaning a pool of people nationally from every state, from every community, representative, so that what they do is after they take the hearing record, they sit into a a committee process, and then they deliberate, they can get more special uh, experts to give them advice. Mm -hmm. And then they turn around and they deliberate. And after the deliberation, they take a vote. And they can vote to change it as long as it keeps the, message, the vision of what the legislation is about. And then after that, they vote, and then the electoral, the citizens' trust sends the legislation to the body, relative body of representative government, which in this case, the national be Congress. So the Congress gets the hearing record. The Congress gets the deliberative uh, discussions and final vote of the deliberative body. And then the Congress has 90 days to vote on it in an advisory capacity, not in the final capacity. The reason why we did this is because representatives spend a lot of time on subject matter. Mm. They don't always vote right because they vote where the money comes from. Mm. But if you remove that problem, then what happens is uh, they will then, uh, you know, make the right decisions advising you, the constituents, that this is the way they would vote if they were if it had the full power, and so that's an advisory vote. It's and the reason why we do that is we live our life on cues. C U E. What's a cue? Here, I'm drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. How do I know that this coffee is safe and not poisonous? Well, because I know the government's regulating it, uh, and uh, likely as not, it won't be poisonous. So that's called a cue. When I drink this, a frappuccino, that that's the company. Now, so if they're going to poison me, we're going to know who did this and and they're going to they're going to mm-hmm. suffer the consequences and the liabilities. That's called a Q, cue, C U E. And we live our lives on cues. So when you watch how a friend of yours who's in the Congress votes for something, you say, "Oh, I I trust him." I won't bother reading the legislation, I'll just vote because he gave me a cue as the way to do it. So we live our lives on cues and to capitalize on the greatest cue of all is our elected officials in Congress, they can give us their advice. Then after we have that, the Electoral Trust uh, sets up a schedule uh, for the voting of on the legislation, our legislation. Uh, and your legislation. And so what we have is one week long, seven days, 24 hours a day, we can vote from wherever we are in the world and we can vote electronically for one of the pieces of legislation uh, at the federal level, a piece at the state level, and at the local level, all on the same vote. Hmm. And so now you begin to see that what's happened it limits the amount of policy questions that can be dealt with to 52 a year at the federal, 52 a year at the state, and 52 a year at the local. And and you say, well, why the limitation? Well, we don't need to just flood everything with a, a thousand laws like we have in Congress, three or 4,000 pieces of legislation. Well, we need to, have legislation that was already limited. Remember, we had a vote where 40% of the people had to agree to even want to consider the legislation. Now that's a limitation. So if you don't get it within that 40%, we're not gonna deal with your legislation. That means there's not enough people interested in it. That's reasonable. Then at the end of the exercise, uh, if you turn around, And you can go to chapter, I think it's chapter five or six. Mm. Uh, And there's a whole list of possible legislation, both for constitutional amendment and for legislative legislative matters. And you'll see that it's tough to come up to 52 uh, constitutional amendments Mm. and 52 laws. Because as the people make more law, there'll be less need to make more law. Now, what happens with politicians is that they gotta look like heroes. So when a problem comes uh, comes in and they see it, well, let's pass another law and another law and another law. And before you know it, you're overwhelmed with all of this bureaucracy and laws and, and it becomes very ineffective. Mm-hmm. And so this is a way to set up a process that's more thoughtful. Uh, and like I say, you'll have... Now, when, when we qualify a piece of legislation immediately the Electoral Trust sets up a website for every single piece of legislation. Hmm. That website will report on and bring the information about the uh, hearing, about the deliberations, about the advisory votes, about uh, the economic impact, the social impact, the whatever impact that legislation will have. All of that is on a continuous basis on the website of our legislation, and so we say, and that website will stay open all the way to the end, and then it's there of record. So if later on the judiciary wants to analyze what really happened in the legislative process, all they got to do is go to that website and look at what happened, and they'll be able to define more accurately the intent of the people in question. That's the dynamic of making legislation. So the people would legislate independent of representative government. Representative government will continue to legislate as it presently does, but it will be sanctions or constrained by the fact that the people are automatically the senior partners. So if the the Congress uh, put put forth legislation that the people didn't like, we would put in an amendment to that, and it would be voted on in the people's legislature, and it would do away with the, uh, the, in, the, the the legislation that was passed by the Congress. And that would be superior. And that goes back to the point I was making. <clears throat> if the executive did not uh, act in properly and fairly in the execution of the law, the executive could be done away with by an amendment to the Constitution that the people could initiate. That's the dynamic of the legislative process. It's a partnership of a win-win situation, uh, and, and it would be absolutely fulfilling to a greater degree of human governance. What we're talking about is in our hands, we're asking the people to take up the issue of human governance, changing the paradigm where representatives have a monopoly to creating a partnership with the people, but with the people in the ascendance, since they are the sovereigns. The government is not the sovereign. The government is a representation of the sovereigns. Right. The sovereigns can deal directly. And so you would have a situation where the sovereigns legislate independently and the others legislate independently. But but this legislation, legislation by the Congress is dependent upon the election by the people you see that begin to see the interplay and the dynamic that would take place and that's the the reason why it's so difficult to get people to understand because basically most americans don't understand how legislation works right it's the the joke is you can't watch hot dogs or or legislation being made right Uh, revolting
1: yeah um do you it sounds to me and maybe this is just me game playing out the long term you know uh, what could happen in the long term is do you do you foresee then the people's legislature pa- like passing an amendment that would do away with the congress so that it's just the 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 people the you know, the people in the legislative body on the whole passing laws and, and acting as the sole legislature for the United States?
0: I think that's possible. But I don't think initially very likely, because you have a great deal of experience uh, legislatively with representative government—not all good, not all bad. So it would be uh, it would be in my mind excessive to throw it out. And a lot of people say, "Oh, if it's good, let's just do it all right now." No, why not? Why not take advantage of the experiences we have over 230 years right. uh, and meld it together? with the people. And as you notice, I kept saying that the people would set policy. That policy is, uh, is here. Uh, we, we have to disarm ourselves and work to disarming all people in the world uh, over the ability to make war at a national level, okay? That's policy. Now, the implementation of that policy would be done by the executive in our foreign policy. So that's the dynamic of I envision the way it would work. I could be wrong. You know, there's unintended consequences. Uh, I forced the end of the draft, the military draft, and the unintended consequence is that the warmongers hired uh, mercenaries to fight in Iraq and to fight in Afghanistan. And so all you can do is set up a process whereby when the people make a mistake that they will have the tools to correct the mistake. And that's what this dynamic has that the people, if they make a mistake, they can put in another piece of legislation to correct that mistake. If the Congress makes a mistake, the people can vote to correct that mistake. So it's a dynamic that would play itself out. I have, uh, and I think that for people to vote for this, they have to have unreserved faith in the people. And uh, and you don't have any choice. Those are the only people on the planet that are that are sentient. Huh. So uh, you have no choice but to but to defer to that. And and also it's a, it's a, a faith in yourself. And the people here's what the the one percent will try to do. They'll try to say, well, you're not smart enough to vote for policies. Uh, you have to vote for representatives, of course who will then manipulate the election and tell you to, what you want to hear to get elected, uh, and then will receive money from, from the elites to to satisfy the interest of the elites. That's the dynamic of what's going on. It's human governance, and you have to have faith. I have faith that you, too, can make laws just as well as any member of Congress.
2: Why, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> and we are The highest <laughs> compliment. <laughs>
0: And you're, you're knowledgeable. That, that's the dynamic of it. And that's the dynamic of the legislation I put forward. In other words, when, when I say that every piece of legislation is going to have a website with all of the information relative to the enactment of that legislation, there's nothing like that in the world today. There's nothing like that uh, in the Congress. And yet this, it's, it's a straightforward dynamic. If, if you want to find out what's going on with the legislation you just get on your uh, your computer and look at the website you can read anything what's going on now that 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 is an informed public you don't have that now the people yes. aren't as to what legislation you know, the members of Congress aren't even informed you know mm-hmm. given that that 90 percent of the legislation that members of Congress vote on they don't know what it is they don't know what's in it because it's a subcommittee system, the right. legislation referred to a subcommittee. The subcommittee does the hearings, does the markup, and they bring it to the floor of the full, full body. So who did the work? It's the subcommittee that did it, not the total body. And so that's that's the that's the way we are structured in representative government, and and we will stru- we will follow that structure in the legislature of the people. The difference is that you don't have the party system. You don't have the, the, the desire to have power because that's what motivates the parties in Congress. Got to have power. And that's what it's all about. Not solving problems, but to have power. That's not the dynamic of what takes place with the people when they vote on legislation. They're not going to be empowered by it. They're going to have improved human governance. Big difference. Yeah. So that. But let me put it back on your shoulders. Uh, the two of you now have become more expert in this issue, and I'd be happy you can call me on a telephone, uh, and you have any questions in the future. But but what's what's important is that it's you. My hope is that the millenniums, the the ex, the, the generation, will. Rise up and understand that they are the power to make the change. Not the leaders. The leaders have already empowered themselves by controlling the government and society, religion, culture, you name it, they control it all to satisfy their selfish ends. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the people enacting laws, enacting policies, to improve the quality of life that they enjoy as human beings. That's the dynamic of what's going on. And so at my age, at 90 years old, how many years do I have left? Not that many. So it's up to you. It's up to you to spend your lives educating other people to read the book. The book at the uh, backside of it, it says very clearly a manual to create and operate a legislature of the people, a manual. It's all here in yeah. here. And it's not long, It's a little over 100 pages, and, and it's designed to read several times, argue it, discuss it. <clears throat> and if we can get 20 to 30 million people that understand this, then we can begin the election to enact it. That's the dynamic of what happens? First, we have to have people understand. There's no point in going to an election right now when most of the people don't, don't understand this. They need to understand, discuss it, bring it to bring it home, and and then vote on. Yeah. And then once it happens, it will be the law of the land, and we will have changed the nature of human governance. Isn't that an exciting opportunity?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <For sure. laughs> yeah.
1: Definitely. Uh, it, definitely sounds appealing. That's for sure.
0: It's in your hand. Don't look at me. I've done my work. <laughs>
1: You're like I'm done.
0: <laughs> you, Arden, and Lizzie, it's up to you. Any other questions?
2: I think I think that's it for for me right now, and we're coming up to the end of our hour. So I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for talking to us about this, and I just want to tell our listeners to go check out. I'm assuming it's available. The book is available everywhere uh, at this point. I'd
0: like them to go to uh, mikegravell dot com, mm-hmm. and so that's what so invite your your friends, your people in your backup to go to mikegravell dot com, and you'll see on the right hand side you can you can spend uh, almost four dollars for a ebook uh, or thirteen dollars for a softback book, so. Please uh, do it that way, uh, and then, uh, and then as we, uh, as we get more resources, we'll promote the book more, and uh, and so we'll just build. We'll build. This won't be done in a day, but but we could if, if we could get this concept to go viral. It's Katie bar the door. <laughs> we so that so here again. I lay it back on you. I've done my work. You got to do yours. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you, Senator. I think uh, if ever there was a time where there would be a reception for this kind of a concept, it's definitely now.
0: (laughs) I think so, too. I think so, too. I'm so grateful to have lived long enough to see the opportunity before us uh, and, and recognize that it must be undertaken by people like you who will exercise their judgment to promulgate this opportunity. Again, all I can do is thank you. Thanks. If you need more information, don't hesitate to call me. Okay, I'll be responsive to, to any questions you have. Fair enough. Fair
2: enough. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: <laughs>
2: Senator, thank you thank so you, much. We really appreciate your time and your and your insight and your knowledge. I, um, I thank you. I thank, thank you. We're so grateful
0: <laughs> for your participation. Let's hope.
2: Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's hope.
0: Bye. Right, bye. Bye, Senator. Bye, Senator.